Hello, welcome to I Love Rock and Roll. I'm Ken Krantz. And I am Slash. Oh, uh, you did that thing where you give away who we're talking about right away. Uh, no, I. Th- that could be a number of bands. We could be doing a number of bands right now. We could be doing uh, Velvet Revolver. We could be doing uh, <laughs> Slash's Snake Pit. Yeah. Welcome to our big Slash's Snake Pit episode. Snake Pit podcast. <laughs> Uh, we are talking Guns N' Roses, and with us today, we have a very funny stand-up comedian and the host of the excellent podcast, which we will get into a little later, Gutting the Sacred Cow. Please welcome Kevin Goatee. Gentlemen, how goes it? Thank you for uh, thank you for coming on, and thank you for being patient. Oh, that wasn't even on purpose. Thanks for showing some patience. Just a little patience, yeah. Oh, uh, uh, look at that. The segues are making their way around already. The references, you guys are professionals. <laughs> I love to see that. No, Kevin Kevin has been, uh, we've been trying to get Kevin on for a while in the, in the schedule. Wait, wait, wait. My turn, my turn, my turn. Yeah. I felt a little estranged during this whole process. <laughs> well, I like where this is going already. <laughs> uh, this is... Uh, yeah, I, I just I just want to apologize. <laughs> I think I think we should start over. Um, I I feel like I started that and I just I've had a morning just ever since last night. My uh, uh, my my I had spaghetti incident last night. And uh, oh, boy, do it a lot. All no, right, I guys, mean. that's been the pocket. Let's I think we should let's just do slash a snake pit at this point. What's that? <laughs> you don't you don't I, like you don't like wait, this. You, you don't like this puns and roses direction we're going in <laughs> no let's let's talk let's talk guns and roses kevin that was the first band when when we uh that was the first band you threw out to us when when i asked who you'd want to talk about yeah it was, i think it was one of them. i think it did bad religion and the misfits and guns and Roses. i think were the ones yeah i think it was also because they were just doing their their recent second tour so it was really fresh in my mind yeah guns and roses man i mean that was Appetite came out. I'll never forget. I was in the sixth grade and holy shit, man, that just changed the game. I mean, what was I listening to? Fucking weird. We can curse, right? Weird yeah. Al nonsense. So oh, funny you, though. Oh, you can curse, but please don't say Weird Al. Oh, <laughs> if you could. Can we edit, long, make sure we we'll, edit, that we'll out. edit Weird Al. Make a note. In the, as yeah. long as I look in the mirror three times and say Weird Al, Weird Al, Weird Al, I'll be yes. okay. Yeah. <laughs> because then you'll just say you're crazy. <laughs> okay. Yeah, Appetite was such a game changer. I mean, I bought it. Remember Clover, guys? I don't know how old oh, you are. Yeah, Clover, if you if you were good, you would get a slushy at the at the end. Yes. Yes. I have no I have no idea what Clover is. What, wait, Kevin, what is? where did you, where did you grow up? I grew up in Princeton's in Central Jersey. Okay, all right. There was okay. one out there. Yeah, uh Ken, it's like a it's like a a a, a white trash target. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, it's like it, that. And it was not far from our house, and they sold it. And that, and that, and I got the cassette and that big plastic thing where there was like f- room for four cassettes, mm-hmm. and you have to go. And they did get that retarded, you know, plastic key thing to get out. That was like the first album I bought with my own money, and I opened up the cassette case, and there's a robot raping a chick. So there we go. Way to start off, Kevin's uh, sixth education in the sixth grade. So I think we're, we're probably all about the same age because I remember being in sixth grade, too. And I think I literally I think my parents begrudgingly gave it to me for Christmas and uh, just being so excited, like sitting in the I mean, this is just sitting in the back of the station wagon with my new Walkman listening, <laughs> listening to it, like going to a Christmas party like two days after Christmas and just thinking it was the greatest thing in the world. 
Do you remember? Uh, do you remember hearing them for the first time, or or what it was that made you run out to grab the album? Yeah, it it was it was. I, I think it was Paradise City. No, no, I'm sorry. It was Welcome to the Jungle. That's what got me. Was Welcome to the Jungle on uh, and just like wow, seeing the video, and then Paradise City. I forgot was was that first or second on MTV. Either I mean they were both pretty interchangeable. I go well, and, and then you had guys. Uh, and I think for me, it was Sweet Child of Mine. Like that opening riff is just like, I just, that's just sixth grade for me right there. Right. And yeah. then when you, when you get the album, I mean, like, yeah, you're into Welcome to the Jungle. You're into, uh, you know, Paradise City. I'd say one that grabbed me by the balls and I, I think they played it live is Out to Get Me. I love Out to Get Me. That's one of my favorite songs that's off the beaten path that they do on Appetite. It's, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a, as the kids say today, it slaps. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Brownstone was one of yeah. the ones for me. That was, that was a big one. Uh, I, I had, so picture sixth grade mulleted chip chantry. I had a denim jacket as hold on, hold on. I'm, pull, I'm pulling my pants down. Hold on a second. Yeah. Get, get prepared. And let me get uh, my, let me get my rocket queen ready to roll. Right. 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 <laughs> um, uh, but I had a jeans jacket, a denim jacket and I wanted to get one of the patches for like the back of the jacket, but like not like a little pack, like the one that like covers the entire back of the jacket and my mom sew it on. And my dad, it was like the one thing my dad was like, I don't think I don't think your mom's going to like this. I don't think you buy this. I wanted the appetite, like the cross with the skulls on the five points on the the skulls. And and he's like, your mom's not going to fly for this. I can't I can't get you the crucifix one. Uh, So like literally the more appropriate one was the one with the two guns with the roses wrapped around them. He's like, mm-hmm. oh, that's fine. And my mom literally sewed it onto the back of my jeans jacket. Man, I thought- I I'd thought you were gonna say you had to like, like Velcro a Hall & Oates patch over it. And you would, you would right. rip it off when you Yeah, left. like as I, as I got off the bus. <laughs> You're like, there's no more room for the Katrina and the Waze patch. It's time yeah. to make room for something new. Yeah, here comes Izzy. This, they, they, this uh, as debut albums go, this one, uh, Appetite for Destruction, is a doozy. I, yeah. I mean, it it becomes the best selling debut album uh, in the in rock history in America in in American yeah. history. It, it becomes um, the album. Uh, it's interesting how it happened. So the album comes out in '87 to little or no fanfare. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever singles got released quickly disappear off the charts. Um, they were signed by Geffen Records, so the company really believes in them. So they they call David Geffen in, uh, and say, "Hey, we need you to go to MTV and see if you can help us get some play." So David Geffen goes to MTV himself and talks to them. He's like, listen, it's my new band. I, I would love it if you played them. So they play Welk, they played the Welcome to the Jungle video at I believe 4 a.m. one yep. time. And at 4 a.m., the phones start lighting up. And for the next week, everybody's calling in to uh request Welcome to the Jungle. Uh, it goes into heavy rotation on MTV, and then the rest is history. Then they blow up, and then they release uh, Sweet Child of Mine, which goes to number one. 
uh, is there to date their only number one uh, single. And um, by the time that comes out, they then re-release Welcome to the Jungle as a single, which which rockets to number seven. And um, within about uh, a little over a year from the time they formed, they are now the biggest band on the planet. And uh, we should say the classic lineup, Axl Rose slash Izzy Stradlin on rhythm guitar, uh, Duff McKagan on bass, and Steven Adler on drums. Um, they, uh, those videos, I, it's funny, my, I remember the first time I really noticed them was, um, you remember the movie Deadpool, like the Dirty Harry movie? They're right, all it? they're all in. That was the last their last Dirty Harry film he did. And they are all in a scene together on the boat. There, I guess they're investigating a murder and they're all just hanging in the back of some shitty boat in L.A. Harbor. Remember that very well for some <laughs> dumb reason. I, they they played a band and they used uh, Welcome to the Jungle in, yep. in the movie. And um, I remember hearing a clip of it and being like, I think I've heard that on the radio once or twice. And then I just remember within weeks of seeing that, it seemed like you couldn't escape them. Yeah, they were ever. You know? And I wonder if and, and now I, I don't know, because they, they all definitely put time in with other bands. But like you wonder if that whole just the reputation they got and how dysfunctional they were was because they became so successful so quickly, you know, like they didn't have a lot of time on the road just to get their ego squashed. Or if it was just if it was just the drugs coming in, because they they definitely I guess separately they all had years on the road. Yeah, but I do I think that I mean I I dug up I went I went into Rolling Stone's archives and I dug up some old interviews with Axel, mm-hmm. and he sort of says that oh we became way too famous way too fast and okay. we had no time to prepare. Like yeah. there's there's nothing that can prepare you for that level of fame, but it also comes on their debut album. You know, it's, it's not like they slowly build up to this. Yeah. Um, they came along at such a good time too. I think because MTV back then was all like hair metal. It was all poison and Cinderella and Bon Jovi, which just wasn't my thing. And then I remember Guns N' Roses comes along and, and seeing Welcome to the Jungle or seeing Paradise City for the first time. And you were like, oh, this could be uh, our generation's Rolling Stones for sure. Like this is just mm-hmm. maybe the best hard rock band that's come out of America, you know, since Aerosmith or something. Yeah, I, I remember the same uh, camp. Yeah. Oh, go, I, go ahead. I remember a lot of people were trying to create this kind of Yankees Red Sox rivalry with Guns N' Roses versus Metallica. And I just thought, why it's apples and oranges. It really is, is two different things. Like how, why are we trying to create a, a rift here and make you choose a side? And I gladly chose Guns N' Roses. Um, but yeah, I remember people trying to say like, yeah, who's Guns N' Roses or Metallica? It's Metallica by a land. Like, wait, why? Well, I, I never understood why people created that debate. Did you guys ever, one of those arguments back in the day, too, or well, wasn't there a also like wasn't Axl Rose and 
what's his name from Motley Crue gonna Vince Neil Vince Neil weren't they gonna like box or something like that wasn't that a thing they were gonna like fight each other I feel like that that, that was like I don't remember I, that but. I feel like that was a th- I have to look that up I think they were gonna like box because they hate each other uh, but yeah like it's it's I think it's like why do you have to make those apples and oranges things because again I was definitely not a hair metal guy at all like I just I couldn't take it. And then, but this was just, there was something else to this that was like, oh, this is different. It was a nice like linchpin between the hair metal and then the grunge scene that came a year or two later. I, I, I feel like it was, uh, it, 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 this was the, if, if we call Guns N' Roses hair metal, it's one that I can definitely stomach. Hmm. Yeah, but I, they, I don't, I mean, to me, they were just, they were just like balls out rock and roll. Yeah. I mean, they they had they had the big hair. The look, was, they had the look. Was, yeah. So I think it was a little confusing because mm-hmm. you're like, oh, this looks like a hair metal band, except for Izzy, who looked like a throwback to the Stones. You know, Izzy yeah. just Ron like Woodish. Young, yeah. Um, well, and you wonder how much of like their image people, their makeup people or whatever did like you look at the the. Uh, Welcome to the Jungle video and Axel's got his teased up hair. I feel like that's the only time you see that, at, you know, it, it was like they were trying to get into that hair metal look, but it was definitely a different sound. Yeah, it looked like it was electrocuted with that hairstyle. You're 100 yeah. percent right. Yeah. But, you know, it's funny, though. It's just they were rock. When you think of rock and roll, you think of Stones, Beatles, I mean, the typical whatever you fill in the blank. They, I, I just still I can never really put them in a, in, a, in a specific genre. Like I don't put them in that box. I definitely don't put them in the hair metal box. And that's why I think they were so inspiring and original. I hate to use that word because it's so, you know, cliche, but they created their own genre, I think, because they had they were a perfect amalgamation of a lot of those things. And it just came together mm-hmm. perfectly. Yeah. Yeah, they they had uh, the the numbers on that first album are staggering. I mean, thirty million for for a debut album, um, and then uh, and then, but it doesn't even hit for the album doesn't even go to number one until a full year after it's been released. So, like, I was reading. This is crazy to think because I guess they're their tour by the time the album hits their tour for the album is winding down so um i read like the use your illusion tour is the first time they're headlining arenas and stadiums who are they opening for was it motley crew on the appetite when appetite came out am i right with that one yeah they were open they were opening for they were opening for different bands they were opening for motley crew um aerosmith i think for aerosmith yeah i remember that Aerosmith, they they put so much work into that first album. So I'm I'm reading this, uh, I'm reading this interview with, uh, I think he's like a 26-year-old Axl Rose um, in Rolling Stone. And I just thought that this was, uh, had a lot of foresight and was really intelligent. Um, But the interviewer is basically asking like, in your wildest dreams, did you ever believe at the time uh, that your debut album would sell 9 million copies. It's gone on to sell way more, but this was when they were asking the question. And he says, no, but it was like this. I thought about trying to sell more records than Boston's first album. (laughs) Well, that first Boston album probably sold 
you know, I, that was one of the highest selling debuts of debuts, all time. Yeah. Uh, I always thought that and never let go. Everything was directed at trying to achieve the sales without sacrificing the credibility of our music. We worked really hard to make this record. Uh, the album isn't a fluke. Maybe Appetite will be the only good album we ever make, but it wasn't just a fluke. And Who was I? Re I was reading, or no, someone told me this. I think it was my wife said that there was a famous producer. Was uh, was it Brian May who was asked to sit in on the producing for Appetite? And they said after a while they're like, "Get the fuck out of here!" And I, I, it could have been could have been Brian May, could have been somebody else, but basically it was one of these well known, all time greats who's going to sit in and produce it. And then they said, no, nah, you know, you're fucking this up. Get out of here. And here we are. Oh, I didn't, I didn't, I'd have to go and look. I didn't hear that. I see. I was reading that the, um, that, uh, Geffen didn't want to pay for a big name producer. Like I was reading, I, the thing that I read, uh, said, gave a couple names of big producers at the time, like Mutt Lang. Mm -hmm. Um, but they said Geffen had already put so much money into them. They didn't want to uh, open the purse strings for uh, for a big name producer. So I don't And they also gave Guns N' Roses a little bit more freedom because like, I think they had a couple other offers. But they they yeah, they, so they, they, to take, they, they took in, in 1985. They Geffen gives GNR a $75,000 advance, which even back then isn't. Uh, like a life-changing amount of money split between five dudes. Mm -hmm. um, Chrysalis Records yeah. offered mm -hmm. them twice that, but they wanted to change their image and they want, which also shows you um, just how dumb are some of these gatekeepers. Like, like these people who are in charge, uh, how do you how do you look at Guns N' Roses and hear those songs and think like, well, this could be something if we if we fuck with it just a little bit? Yeah, it's right. Yeah, it's and it's so short sighted too. They're trying to put them in a box. I would love to see if you get the top producer or the top five producers, and then say, here are the bands I've put through. And see who their successes are. And then everyone else they said no to. I want to see what their batting average is. Do you think it's we, – we can look at this from a baseball standpoint or an NBA foul shot standpoint. Who's better at the free throw line or who could just, you know, hit 300? And I don't know what, how, what one would consider to be, you know, the bar for entry for success. But I love to see all the ones like, oh, you know what? I missed on Guns N' Roses. But I said no to 55 bands who've never made a, you know, made it past the 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 cover band circuit, you mm -hmm. know. So I'm yeah. just curious to see what that would be before everyone, you know, shits on everybody for, oh, I'm the guy who passed on that. Yeah, but you know what? I also did dot, dot, dot. And I also saved you from the likes of, you know, <laughs> yeah. A, B, C, D, E, F, and G. Yes, it's it's one of the uh, it's, it's one of the things about being coming a good comic is n learning when to say no. Like it's yeah. like smelling a bad gig. Yeah. Um, they, uh, they follow up, they follow up Appetite for Destruction with an EP. Uh, what was that called? Lies? Lies. Lies. 1988. Where they just took their original four song demo, uh, which, um, 
I just learned this. I always thought it was taken from a live show because those songs are presented as live, but uh, they are um, their studio. They're done in the studio and crowd noise is piped in. Really? Yeah. So like that reckless life and move to the city. Yeah. So all those songs that I think they even say live in parentheses on the, those first two or three songs on the album. Yeah. But those mm-hmm. were uh, those were done in the studio and then crowd noise was added to. Yeah, to make we, it we've heard more. we've heard your album, Ken. <laughs> <laughs> that is uh, hurtful and hilarious. <laughs> uh, by the way, they I. That was done to me once. I was sweetened once, and it's the most embarrassing. Years and years ago, like I was brand new to comedy. I Purina had was doing this like pet food like promotion where they wanted to do family friendly comedy, and it was called the Purina Pet Comedy Challenge. They went from city to city, and you had to like tell five minutes of like family friendly pet jokes. So literally, like I got asked to do it at Helium this like 2007, maybe. And I was like, all right. Like and I like that day, I just wrote like five minutes of dog jokes went. I ended up winning. They sent me to St. Louis. We do this afternoon show. I I had no sleep because my flight got canceled, the whole thing. And it was just a terrible show. Everybody did bad. And they were just like shitty jokes I had told twice in my life because they're dog jokes. And they literally sweetened the, the sound and put it on YouTube. And it's the worst editing canned laughter job I've ever heard in my entire life. And it was one of the first things that popped up on Google for me for years. And it was, I, I begged them to take it down. What did they, what did they pipe in? Meow, 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 I would just tell a joke and then it was just the dogs barking jingle bells. It was really, yeah, it was, it was really embarrassing. <laughs> um, so Lies comes out and then they have, uh, they have some acoustic they have a they have like four acoustic songs on there patience uh one in a million they've got an acoustic version of you're crazy on there uh which in my opinion is better than the electric version on Appetite. 100 fucking percent i love that that's one of my five or ten favorite songs is the is the unplugged version of you're crazy I could I saw, not agree more. They they just did that live for the first time in like 30 years the other night I saw. Oh, missed it. I did enjoy it when I was there. I was there last year for the Giant Stadium show. Yeah. And, uh, oh, so good. I was that song that you're right. It's it the acoustic, it's so underappreciated. Yes. Yeah, you don't like that. And the song on the album, the, the appetite version, I think gets lost in uh because there's just so many perfect great songs on that album that I, I don't even that one doesn't even register to me when when I think of it. Um, but they have uh, they run into a bit of controversy with the song One in a Million, which <laughs> uh, famously uh, Axel sings the N word. Um, uh, he refers uh, he refers to gay people as faggots in it, which uh, I only feel comfortable saying because I had five older brothers. And uh, I was called that every day of my life for uh, about 15 years. Why, Ken? Were you a Mets fan growing up? Is that why? <laughs> um, but uh, of course, so I so I dig up this Rolling Stone interview where. By the I, way, uh, yeah. can I say that some of the most embarrassing 
lyrics that have not aged well in your one in a million is you're one in a million. Yeah, that's what you are. You're one in a million, babe. You're a shooting star. Maybe someday we'll see you before you make us cry. Like, that's just as embarrassing as everything else he said in that song. Right <laughs> Would it be funny if Axel, like 30 years later, apologized for that verse? Right. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, yeah, I, I stole it from a sixth grade girl's yearbook. <laughs> like the other stuff is 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 undeniably wrong and you can't argue for it. But some of this other stuff is is pretty rough, too. You yeah. say your book. I say hope chest. I think that's a happy medium <laughs> yeah. of the yeah. two of them. They're, yeah. both, they're, they're both butthole clenching worthy. Awful. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So then Rolling so Rolling Stone asks him about using the word faggots and then he uh he talks about some very bad experiences he had with uh homosexuals. Uh, I was about 18 or 19, I was hitchhiking. This guy told me I could crash at his hotel. He went to sleep. Axel falls asleep and uh wakes up uh he he says with he wakes up mid this guy's attempting to rape him. Um, so he, he said that, you know, maybe, maybe that, uh, made him a little bitter. Um, and I, I, I say this, uh, if you are going to attempt to, to rape a fellow, uh, like it can't be the first night he's crashing. Like, don't you need to know if he's a heavy <laughs> sleeper? Like, don't you need to like, what if he's one of these dudes where like you, you uh you you turn the TV on and he immediately wakes up. Yeah. Or he has a gunner under his pillow. That's yeah. a real yeah. that's that's something to define like, like James Bond does. Like, yeah, yeah. that's something you probably need to know. A little bit of recon would would a best little, suit you little, better. A little bit of recon. What what you're saying, Ken, is he needs to just try just a little patience. Yes. Ah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I well, I thought this was funny. So then Rolling Stone says, How about gay bashing? Have you ever beaten up on somebody simply because of their sexual preference? Now I think this is where I think this is where the true gentleman in Axel comes out because he he's not violent. He says, No, I never have. The most I do is like on the way to the Troubadour in Boys Town on Santa Mono on Santa Monica Boulevard. I'll yell out the car window, hey. Why don't you guys like pussy? <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? Can you was, imagine it, your... was, it, was it Descartes or Sartre who also said that? <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine you're walking down Santa Monica Boulevard in the 80s with your boyfriend and some guy leans out a window like, why don't you like pussy? And you're like, is that the, is that the sweet child of mine, fella? <laughs> what just happened? He's that's because he's leading a reckless life. <laughs> um, so uh, lies comes out that goes to number two. Like now they can do no wrong. Um, and then they start turning their attention to the proper follow up to appetite for destruction, which uh, eventually becomes use your illusion. Uh, one and two. Um, mm -hmm. What that that album originally started out, they had so much material for it that they were talking about making it. They wanted to make it like a box set, but not a box set that you had to buy. Like they didn't want to rip the fans off. 
So originally it was going to be like four albums. It was going to be like three albums of the new studio material and then an album of all covers that they were working up, which I guess they shelved a lot of that and that becomes Spaghetti Incident. Mm -hmm. um, uh, ultimately, they end up cutting them down to two records and releasing them both on the same day. If you guys remember, the marketing ploy was nothing short of sheer fucking genius. The first single, You Could Be Mine, what was that in? Terminator 2. And I saw that film in the theater three goddamn times. Yeah. And the video was on MTV nonstop. Even had Arnold in there as well, just jamming out. So they already, because then that came out, was that shit? I know it was July. It might have even been July 4th weekend, T2. So, and that, and the album came out. I was in school. I was a freshman in high school when that came out. So call that two months of ramp up time of just playing that nonstop. I mean, everyone was amped out of their tits for the uh, release of that new album. And again, the perfect, the perfect runway was having that in T2. I, yeah. mean, I, I mean, the film's amazing. And the song was just. Perfect. That song's per. I think that is the most perfect post appetite song that they ever recorded. Yeah, not my favorite. It's great. I love it. Not my favorite, but I agree with that point. I can. I can definitely agree that being perfect. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was. It was a perfect monster single. Um, and uh, yeah, like now they're at the point where now they're at the point where they're putting out songs like Civil War. And offering social commentary and we're all pretending like, like, oh, wow, that's really deep from the Guns N' Roses. Like, oh, yeah, they're they're into they're into right. politics now. That's great. You know. Yeah. Like if you think if you think the Stranger Things finale was long, like just try to watch the estranged video once. <laughs> it's it takes forever. I that, by the way, since you said it, that's my favorite GNR song is estranged. Is it? I, I fucking love it. I went with Jeff Paul last year, our buddy, and he's like, what's your favorite song? I go, you're going to laugh. I don't care. I love Strange is my favorite. It goes through all the different types of uh, emotions and it just hits and it. It's I love it. And then I think they think the fourth or fifth song they played in, in there. They always play it live. I love it. It's great. But the, the video with the whale, you're like, all right, we can yeah. we can move on. But the song itself is my personal favorite. Yeah. Do, do you ever, Chip and I were talking about this off air, Kevin. Do you ever go back and listen to the Use Your Illusion albums? Oh, yeah. I mean, I have my iTunes here pulled right up because I thought we would get to this. Yeah, I have one, two, three, four, five, six. Seven. I only have seven songs from both albums. Actually, well, to be really fair, one of them, I have Double Talking Jive and I have two other versions of Double Talking Jive live. So there are some songs. I have Civil War, You Could Be Mine, Estranged, Garden of Eden, November Rain. And those are the ones I have on there from you, The Usual Illusions. I like them, but I'm, I love, I'll tell you what, I love Lies. I love Lies. And I'm yeah. going to go a little bit of a limb. I think Lies is as good as Appetite because the songs from Appetite are so fucked out now. Like I, I, I can't do Paradise City anymore. It's been too many times. J Welcome to the Jungle, same thing. Sweet Child of Mine, I was all right with. I wasn't crazy about it. But like, all right, I get it. I can't do that anymore. When I listen to, to that, it's um, Out to Get Me, Mr. Brownstone, Rocket Queen, Night Train, My Michelle, and the new one. Shadow of Your Love, the one they re they released. That's they had a the, uh, really good. Yeah, when they I came, love that song. When they Shadow came out love. with that with the uh, with the deluxe edition, Box set, yep. that was the, the, that was the 
so I was reading that was the first song they recorded for the sessions. It kills. How did that not make the cut? Yeah. Yeah, I don't yeah. I don't know. But um they also so this is also right around the time. So Izzy Izzy leaves the band shortly after wrapping up Use Your Elude. And to me, and nobody ever agrees with me on this, to me the band is never the same. Like I am never as fully invested without Izzy Stradlin. Um everyone always thinks of Axel and Slash as the main driving duo behind Guns N' Roses. With I'm the same way uh, with when Tracy Guns left. That's when I came <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, but a lot of people don't know that it was Izzy and Axel who started the band. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Izzy and Axel were in Hollywood Rose together. Uh, like Chip just said, they, they trained, they teamed up with uh, Tracy Guns. They they come out with Guns N' Roses. Tracy quickly leaves the band. Um, Slash and Duff are the last two original members to join the band. So some of these classic songs. And they were in Hollywood. The two of them were in Hollywood Rose at some point, weren't they? Or no? I- Izzy and Axel were. Izzy and Axel, okay. Duff, I think Duff was. I, I don't Duff know if Slash was. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Steven Adler was. It, it, it was basically uh, Hollywood Rose and Tracy Guns. Mm-hmm. And then Tracy Guns was like, ah, this isn't going anywhere. And right. he quit, which um, may be a mistake. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but so Izzy leaves and um, there. Did he ever say, did he ever say why he left? Was that a republic? There have been so many different versions of what's gone on. Uh, what I was just reading from this uh, 1991 interview with Axel, where he is actually very gracious about it. But he basically said, I don't think Izzy ever wanted to be a part of something this big. Like that was never that was never in his plans. Uh, Izzy was, you know, famously, um, as fucked up a junkie as you could have been in, in that band. Um, you know, he was partying very hard with everybody, but by accounts, he was also the first one to start, uh, cleaning up before everybody else. Mm -hmm. So, uh, like when Slash and Duff and Steven Adler were all still, you know, fall down drunks. Uh, Izzy was touring in a separate, like he wouldn't be on the same bus with them because it was too tempting. So he, he would, he would tour behind and then he, he would be on a bus by himself following. And then he wouldn't spend his days with the band because he, I think it was too much of a temptation. Mm-hmm. And um, well, that and you can jerk off in private. The only person you have to worry about is the bus driver. If you have your own bus that way, <laughs> It beats seven other dudes trying to avert their eyes as you're, you know, knocking one out or a groupie for that matter. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, that wasn't in the interview, but I, I, I guess I if, you, if you read between the <laughs> yeah. lines. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, and, and also, too, like, I think we always put ourselves in that position. It's like, why would Izzy not stick with the band? They're making millions of dollars. They're touring the world. Like, if I was Izzy, especially if I'm trying to get sober, I don't know what their deals were. But, like, I'm assuming he's a millionaire by this point. Like. 
I'd head off for the wilderness for a while. I'd just be like, yeah, I got my money. I'm, I'm going to get out of here and like make a little album. That's yeah. yeah. And, what I would do. and at the time, so this is right around the time when Axel starts um, showing up late to every show, starting the shows when he wants. Riots are now following them. Yeah. Uh, the, the first big one is in St. Louis, Missouri. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I, I thought, uh, where, where was the quote? I thought this was interesting. So, so uh, Axel, after, after the St. Louis riot, um, they try, they try saying like, oh, you're, you're responsible for this. You know, like yeah. you don't go on until two and a half hours late. And um, he said, no, I, I don't think he said he didn't. I thought this was interesting. He was like, I don't think I was the last straw of that riot. He was like, yeah, I came on late and, and maybe that upset people, but I wasn't the last straw. Uh, people throwing shit was the last straw. And it's like, all right, so maybe you're the second to last straw. Yeah, but why were people throwing <laughs> shit? People are throwing. Sh- people aren't going to be throwing shit if you come out on time. Yeah, exactly. So, so I think night after night, Guns N' Roses is faced with um, there could be a riot tonight. Axel's not going on. Did um, he ever give a? I'm sure it's a bullshit reason, but did he ever give a reason why he would always do that? Yes. So I have it here. Um, He claims that he uh, started going through therapy at this time. And um, he starts going through therapy and uh, he realizes that he has this internal clock that he's working on that not necessarily anybody else is working on. So it's a little bit like if you've ever heard Lauren Hill give her excuses why she can't ever be at a concert on time. It, it's a little bit the same where he was just kind of like, listen, I'm an artist and I have to uh, I have to I have to perform when the inspiration strikes, not when the time on the ticket says. And I do my best work late at night. Um and then he also started saying that he 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 started intense therapy, uh, and, and he started intense regression therapy, which is where they they allegedly uh, you go back as as young as possible to. Mm-hmm. They say you can remember shit from when you were a baby. Um, and uh, he said that he uncovered all of this childhood trauma and that if he's having a, like a mental health traumatic breakdown and it's an hour before the show, there's no way he can go on stage like this and he has to wait until he feels ready, till he feels like it's safe. So it's funny how he goes on two, three hours late and crowd throws shit at him. But when, when Madonna goes on two or three hours late, nothing happens to her. Yeah. Wait, what? Uh, I don't like, maybe what I do is like, mm. I don't know. 
schedule my therapy appointment two hours <laughs> earlier every day. Yeah, doing the tour bus. That'd be the yeah. smart thing. Wait, to do. Kevin, what are what are you talking about with Madonna? Madonna was also known for going on hours late. I mean, she still goes around. She was, it was, it was, I don't know, at the BAM over in Brooklyn. And she was still saying, you know, to like, let's say it started at nine. She'd show up at, you know, start at 1130. She was another one, Notorious D, which she, she'd come up hours after that, the, uh, the, the scheduled time and just said, basically, I don't give a shit. I'm Madonna. I'll do what the fuck I want. And I thought that was pretty much the same thing Axel was saying as well. See, that's even more fucked up to me because I feel like Madonna's audience back then was all teenage girls. Yeah. Yeah, they got to go to school. Yeah. So now you're like, but they asked, so they asked Axel, they asked him, they were like, well, you know, if you, they were like, what do you say to people who say you don't care about your fans and you just come? He said, well, if I didn't care about my fans, I I wouldn't give them as good a show as they get every night. And I Mm -hmm. guess there's something to that. You know, yeah, he's like, we don't come out and half-ass it. We come out, we leave it on the stage every single night. It's That's the exact difference, though, between a comedian and a rock star. Could you imagine any one of us being like, you know, could you put me later on the show? I, I'd rather wait around a little bit longer. Like, I've <laughs> never, I've always wanted to do my set and get the fuck out. Like, that's all I want to do is just go early. That's, yeah, he's he, he, he wouldn't make a great stand-up. Um... So he he claims that through regression therapy, I thought this was funny. Uh, He says, my earliest conscious memory was of a feeling that I'd been here before and that I had a toy gun in my hand. I knew it was a toy gun, but I didn't know how I knew. This is my first memory. But I've done regression therapy all the way back, just about to the point of conception. (laughs) I kind of know what was going on back then. So that is proof that a fetus is a person. I think we just did it. <laughs> I think Axel, not only is it a person, but it somehow was aware, uh, like this is what gets me, almost to the point of conception. Right. So like his first memory should just be his dad screaming like, Linda, I said I'd pull out. <laughs> I think he just got done watching 2001 A Space Odyssey and saw that last act where the babies were in space just doing whatever the fuck and said, you know what? There's my excuse. I don't have anything good except that. I'm a selfish asshole. And also the band was saying they were cost- he, the, he was costing them millions yeah. almost every show from the overtime hours that had to be put in for the unions and such to keep the show going. Because I guess a lot, a lot of drop dead times are 11 or 12 or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they were going to like 2 a.m. and they're paying these guys over like two and a half, three and a half, whatever times for the union rates because they were just starting yeah. so damn late. And it, and it wasn't it wasn't just stage. It was it was the studio. So the, yeah. when, when they were um, they'd be working on Use Your Illusion. And I read an interview with Slash and Slash was like, uh, you know, we'd, we'd have the studio booked for 10 p.m. and Axel wouldn't show up till five in the morning. So now not only are you paying for all that, but you've also got your band sitting around for six or seven hours with nothing to do but talk shit about you and uh, resent you. And that's part of the reason why if they would have been a no-name road band for a couple of years, that would have just been beat out of them. Like, could you imagine doing just some shitty bar in Topeka, Kansas, and he's like, no, I'm going to go on two hours too late. Like they're going to be like, no, asshole, get on stage and make your 50 bucks. 
Let me figure it out. <laughs> you don't have to no. say shitty bar in, in Kansas. Just say a bar in Kansas. A bar in Kansas. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, uh, it was, was Axel as much into drugs as the rest of the band was? Was no. he really strung out or no? No. No. Yeah. In fact, uh, the first time they almost break up, uh, they're doing um, – I don't know if they're opening for the stones or it's a show getting ready to open for the stones, but Axel came out and said, uh, this is going to be our last show. Too many of the band members are dancing with Mr. Brownstone, which is, uh, you know, he's saying that too many of them are on heroin. Right. And, um, slash was really pissed about that because they had talked before the show and Slash was using at the time, um, but he knew that this tour was coming up and they had, they had, it, it was like a mini tour. It wasn't even a long one. And uh, he, he had, he'd written out an agreement that the minute the tour was over, he would go to rehab mm-hmm. and that he would use just enough to keep him going on the tour. So he felt like there had been a behind closed doors agreement on how to keep guns and roses going. And then that night Axel goes out and is like, Hey, this is a band full of junkies and I don't want to work with them anymore. Yeah. I mean, could you imagine being in a band full of heroin users and you're still the least punctual person there? (laughs) (laughs) Like maybe that's some time for self-reflection. Yeah. That's a wor- that's like the the worst version of the game chicken. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it's it's how how do you not how do you not beat them to the studio? Like that's just yeah, that's that's when I'm like, you know, maybe I need to fix my internal clock just a little bit. Yeah. But he, you don't he, think that, you don't think the studios would would hire handlers to try and push these guys along to shove them into a car and, I'm okay, sure. we have to be there I'm at sure 2 o'clock. But I mean what was what, his name? Tom Zutat, the guy who was also like Motley Crue's handler who did all that shit. He was the kind of guy who was who was, who was shooing them along to all their stuff and just made their life out. He was featured heavily in, in the book, The Dirt. I'm, yeah. I know you guys yeah. had to read that a million times. Yeah. No, I, I did. I name. did. I love that book. Oh, it's so great. I did not like the movie, though. I thought the, the movie was done such a major disservice, way too short uh, and didn't hit a lot of the, the, the main stuff that was in the book. So uh, wish it wish it was better. Um. So Axel claims that so much of this is tied up in his childhood. So he claims that uh, his dad used to sexually abuse him, but he only discovered that through repression therapy because his dad left when he was like two. Mm -hmm. Um, And then his stepfather would beat him and uh, molest his sister for like Mm -hmm. 20 years. Right. So um, I, he didn't do great, like in the father figure. And then <laughs> uh, like he, he didn't have a lot of, you know, strong male role models. Um, and then I think he was so mad at his mom when people would say like, oh, like your lyrics are so misogynistic, like you must hate women. Uh, and then he kind of in this interview admits like yeah i do hate women and it goes back to my mom because she didn't protect me from any of this um which i guess is uh i don't know i don't know he he was uh he he seemed like an angry fella at the time yeah 
but um, after Use Your Illusions, they they, they come out with uh, the Spaghetti Incident with an album of all covers, punk rock and glam rock covers. Can, can you say it properly with the uh, question mark at the end? The, <laughs> the Spaghetti Incident? Yeah, that, thank you. <laughs> That looked like a can of Chef Boyardee, like dumped on a plate, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. it, it yeah. was. It was the worst album cover. Um, it got decent reviews, uh, <laughs> but they um, it sold shit. Like it, like nobody cared by the time it came out. I think by the time it came out, grunge was already in full effect. I think that's really what it was because I think that was maybe like 93. Like when you you got Pearl Jam, Nirvana, yep. Soundgarden, it's like they were kind of old hat at that point. Like, I, And I think they were, even though they were different, I think they were really, I re, even just me thinking of it as a freshman, a sophomore in high school, like thinking that like, yeah, they're kind of old news. Let's put them back with the hair metal. I hate and to- like. Yeah, I hate to I hate to go harken back to about ten minutes ago when that when Usual Illusion came out. Do you remember? And it's all been all over the internet. There were like five or six albums that came out within six weeks weeks of each other. Bad uh, Bad Motor Finger, Soundgarden, um, Nirvana, Nevermind, obviously. Yep. Uh, fuck, ten. Pearl, ten. Pearl Jam, ten. Yeah, and Metallica, the Black Album. And there's yep. a couple. There's, I think there maybe another one was in there too. Mm-hmm. But that whole sweet spot, like holy shit, you talk about Just a murderous row of crazy gang banging yeah. albums is. And, and I will say to, to Guns N' Roses credit, like, I don't know how much of them thinking outside themselves. Obviously, Axl Rose went for something huge with that. But like, I wonder if he was even thinking it's like, oh, we can't do Appetite 2 because nobody wants to hear it, even though it maybe would be great. Like, he's like, we're in the 90s now. He's seeing what's around. He's like, I need to do something. Yeah, he he, he he alludes to it in the interview. I mean, he, he said he was like, listen, I know that we've lost some of our purest fans. Uh, you know, the, the band went from a touring five piece mm-hmm. to, um, a five piece with, uh, at this point. So Izzy's out of the band replaced with Gilby Clark and Steven Adler is thrown out of the band and replaced with a cult drummer, Matt Sorum. And, uh, so they're now, so now it's a five piece with a different rhythm section and uh, a horn section and backup singers and two keyboard players. So it's turned into a little bit of like Times Square, you know, like it went from it's like it took the Stones uh, probably seven or eight albums to get to that point where they were that big and bloated on stage. Mm-hmm. And Guns N' Roses went from their first to their second proper album. And and made that leap. Uh, they they were doing those million dollar videos like November Rain that were just mm-hmm. um, so uh, pretentious and and self important. And even if you like the song, like I I loved the song the first time I heard it, but then when you watch the video and you're like, oh god, what what's going on here? Yeah, it was it was too much. Um, and you could tell like Axel's even kind of chasing, uh, like in the don't cry video, he's wearing a Nirvana hat and he famously wanted Nirvana to open for them on that tour. And Kurt Cobain turned them down saying that, wow. Yeah. I mean, and then think of no idea. Yeah. 
if you watch the Don't Cry, I don't I don't remember which version. I know there's two versions of it, mm-hmm. but the Don't Cry video, he's wearing a Nirvana hat, and then he publicly was like, I would love Nirvana to open for us, which you would think would be the biggest opportunity of all time for this band that nobody's heard of. Mm-hmm. And um Kurt was like, no, I think you're racist. I think you're homophobic. And I think your band is a joke. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Which had to have been, I, I got to imagine you're Axl Rose and you're on, you know, you're like, who wouldn't want to work with me? Right. Um, That's like telling Mariah Carey no and just watching her face just contort eight different ways at one time. <laughs> <laughs> and what was the video? Wasn't Shannon Hoon from... Blind Melon, Blind Melon. It what what wasn't he in a video with them? Didn't he sing with them? Am I? Yes, yeah. That's that does sound familiar. He he. Yeah, it may have even been Don't Cry. It might have been Don't Cry. Yeah, yeah. they were like on the. Well, that was his, his his wife was in that too. Was it set or Stephanie Seymour? Am I getting that right? Yeah, was mm-hmm. in Don't Cry. Okay, yeah. Um. So. Uh, so then. Um, Usually the, the spaghetti in the spaghetti incident. Sorry. Thank you. <laughs> the spaghetti incident uh, bomb. I mean, it's funny. It says it's like they talk about it, but it's sold a million copies and people are like, what a disappointment. Yeah. Um, uh, and then the band uh, slash leaves. Um. And then Duff is the last holdout. Eventually Duff leaves. And uh, then they there's like that whole wilderness period where – so you hear rumors that, that Axel keeps the Guns N' Roses name because one night they're about to go on stage and Axel says, I'm not going on stage unless you sign this. Unless you sign this release giving me the name Guns N' Roses. And they claim they were like slash claims. They were faced with either a riot that was about to happen, you know, or, or give up the name. Mm -hmm. So they were like, they didn't even care at this point. And they just signed away uh, the name. Axel maintains that there's not a shred of truth to that story. And he was like, any lawyer, any good lawyer would be able to pick that apart and say that this was clearly signed under duress. Under duress, yeah. If that, if that mm-hmm. was the situation, this would have been picked apart. So I, I don't know the, I don't know the real story, but uh, then they go to work on Chinese democracy. It's just Axel at this point and a bunch of people that you never heard of. And um, you mean have never heard of Buckethead before? I had not I had not heard of Buckethead, but I think it takes a while for Buckethead even to get in the band. He he keeps recruiting band members and guitarists and they're talking about this album and every now and then a, a demo leaks, but they don't do any touring or what what touring they do is super minimal. Um he he attempts to go on like a quick tour of Canada with this new lineup and he doesn't show up to the first show. Claims that like the plane was late or something and then doesn't show up to the third show. And then the promoter was cancels the the tour. So there's there's a lot of stopping and going. Uh, and you hear about all this money that goes in the Chinese democracy. Um, I think all told, they claim that the album costs 14 million dollars to make and which is um, 
just an absurd amount of money to spend on an album especially in the digital age like yeah. in, like in in the era of nobody's going to actually purchase this that is um it's the water world of albums. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And uh, it got delayed so many times because I was still holding on to a shred of you know, hope like Guns N' Roses, man. Hope I know no one's back. Hopefully it's kind of sort of good. And I do have one song from that album on my phone. That's it. One. IRS. It's actually yeah. pretty good. My favorite story about Chinese democracy is in the early 2000s, the band The Offspring tried to name they were going to name one of their albums chinese democracy and just be like you snooze you lose on it and they're just just as a fuck you really guns and roses yeah they were just gonna be like yeah i think we're gonna call it chinese democracy because we put one out so i i love the offspring for many reasons but one of them i was doing a gig in the lower east side i don't know six years ago and i'm on stage with another uh, i come off stage and their comics stand there he goes look back there he goes is that noodles from the offspring i go holy shit so Noodles goes out for a smoke and I go, we got to go. We, I got to go. I got to go. I go talk to him and I go, hey, man, what's up? And he's like, hey, you're fucking funny. I'm like, thank you. It was, it was so kind of you to say that. And he goes, oh, I'm, 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 you know, I'm Kevin. I'm like, I know you, Noodles. He's like, oh, hey, what's up? I go, I'm, because they were in town for a gig. They were playing with like a hammer sign or some shit. Like in two days ago, I'm going to the gig. I'll see you there. He said, you got tickets? I'm like, yeah, I got tickets. He goes, do you want to come like hang out with us before the show at VIP? Go, Fuck yeah, I do. He's, he goes, here's my number. I'm like, all right. I, I, I'm, he's not going to remember me. I text him like the next day or two. I'm like, hey, man, it's Kevin from the show. Love to see you, you know, pre-show for, a, you know, to hang out. Yeah. And two minutes later, yeah, man, I got you. Go to the will call, blah, blah, blah. Go to the will call that day. He gives me tickets and VIP, which I was like, holy shit. And then he's hanging. He comes right out. Hey, what's up, big hug? He goes, you guys want beers? I'm like, fucking one of my childhood like soundtracks is getting my, my friends drinks and hanging out. And then his uh, the bass player talk comes over this smoke show playmate girlfriend. And she's like, hey, you guys want drinks? I'm like, yeah, I got a playmate serving me drinks too. What kind of craziness is this? I, I kept this number. I still, I still, I, when they came around a few months ago, like a month or two ago, uh, Pier 17, I'm still texting, like, hey, man, what's up? You're in town. And every time they come to town, I, I just text them, like, hey, I just want to hang out. I don't need tickets. I already bought tickets. I don't, you know, don't need anything for free. Just want to come hang out and have you beers. Nicest guy in the world. Nicest guy. So, That's whatever. awesome. I'm so happy. I thought you were going to tell me for a second that he introduced himself as noodles. No. And then no, I could, could, could you imagine? Like, I wouldn't, I would have just backed away. Like, yeah. I, like, <laughs> He's the most down to earth dude. You'll they say don't meet your heroes. That guy cha- blows that whole thing the smithereens, and he's well, he's agreed to do my podcast down the in, like, when they get back from touring in Europe. Oh, that's so awesome! He's the coolest dude in the world. And whatever, uh, whenever someone says the offspring, I go, oh, please don't say anything bad because I'm just going to come back and just tell you why you're wrong. So right. Oh, that's great. Um, it's so funny. I heard keep them separated on the radio recently yeah. and it's right probably my first time hearing that song in a good 20 years and i was like you know because at one point they became like a bit of a punchline, you know but then i heard that song recently and i was like holy shit that song's great they are the reason epitaph records is still around i mean the guy uh, was um 
Oh God, it's my favorite band, Bad Religion bassist. God, I'm blank on his name. He started with somebody else. That Offspring's first album was the landmark album on Epitaph Records. Yeah, and that is the reason why oh, Pennywise, Bad Religion, all those SoCal punk bands I fucking love, mm-hmm. they're on that, and that's the whole the reason why it's uh, it's it's where it is, where it was, I should say. I don't know if it's still churning out albums like it was, but it's, it's it was it was great. It was landmark in the '90s and 2000s. Um. That's a great story. Oh, thanks. Yeah, Jay uh, Bentley. That's it. Jay's the Jay's the uh, the basis rabbit. Which I should have known that. And Kevin, that whole story with with noodles that must have been really good for yourself. Is all right. Oh, here I found this. I I found this because I feel like this is the. I know we were talking about this earlier about Izzy, and I want to say this by the way. Uh, I I I had Kevin listen off air. He didn't agree, but. I truly think that uh, the first two Izzy solo albums, uh, Izzy Stradlin and the Juju Hounds and 117 Degrees, are um, better than anything released post-Appetite. I guess I sort of forget about Lies. So maybe yeah. I'll say maybe I'll say post because I never I never consider lies like a proper release. It was yeah, just a repackaged EP with a couple new songs. But um, that first uh, Izzy Stradlin album to me sounds like uh, a Lost Faces album. You know, just okay. very simple, but uh, hard rock. It's funny you said about everyone forgets about lies. I would say the same applies to Nirvana, my other favorite band with Incesticide after Nevermind came out. When you say, oh, Nirvana, it's like, oh, it's always, oh, it's always uh, Nevermind, In Utero, and some will even say Unplugged. Yeah. Everyone forgets about the first one, the real true first one. Yeah. And of course, uh, uh, Incesticide as well. Yeah. 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 And, it, and you can make the argument uh, to, that may have been their second best record. Like I like that better than Nevermind. Like if I, if I was going to listen to Nirvana now, I wouldn't go back. Nevermind would be the last thing I would put on. I would in utero is always my first. Yeah. That's my favorite. Yes. And then in, yes. I, and I can and I can even argue, even argue Unplugged would be two. Yeah. Yeah, well I I think a lot of people would even argue Unplugged is one. But um yeah. so this is uh this is what he says about Izzy. He's he basically saying Izzy wasn't willing to put in the work. Um, he's And he's talking about the Use Your Illusion albums. It was really hard to get Izzy to do that, even on his own material. Izzy's songs were on the record because I wanted them on the record, not because Izzy gave a shit either way. Uh, Izzy's songs on that record were uh, 14 Years, You Ain't the First, and... Um, I'm forgetting one or two. 14 years was the real good one, though. Um, If people think I don't respect Izzy or acknowledge his talent, they're sadly mistaken. He was my friend. I haven't always been right. Sometimes I've been massively wrong. And Izzy's been the one to help me back to to steer me back to the thing that was right. But I know that I wanted to get as big as we possibly could from day one, and that wasn't Izzy's intention at all. I think he's ready to be like an expensive wino, which was Keith (laughs) Richards' sideband. He wants to do an expensive wino thing. So maybe the world will get another really cool band. I know that I'll be trying to get an advanced tape just like anyone else. Which, cool which is 
super gracious and you know it's like they almost caught him in a rare moment of humility mm -hmm. uh where he could acknowledge that that Izzy was was just as much uh, a driving force behind that yeah yeah I remember even even at that age like I remember um my friend got tickets to see them at the garden and and wanted to take me and my mom didn't know anything about and this was right when they were like riding and and the place was getting torn apart my mom didn't know any of that shit I was just like hey mom me and Danny Meckelberg are gonna go to this concert right and uh when my brother heard that I was going to see GNR, he told my mom, because I was like, you know, I was probably like 15 when that came out or something. Mm -hmm. And he was like, oh, there they riot every. I'm so convinced my brother was just <laughs> jealous that he didn't have tickets. Sure. And what he, a cock block. Yeah. Was. Holy yeah. shit. Yes. He, he narked. He, he, he sat my and my brother was like, cool, and took me to concerts and we loved music. And he's the one that turned me on to much so much of this shit. I still rip on him for it. I'm yeah. always like, dude, what? Like I had a chance to, to see as close to the classic lineup as you could. But, um, that was it. I never got to see them. I, I also haven't been. What? What? Do, how? How's this new band, Kevin? What? What do you? What do you think of the new version? All yeah. right. So I've seen them on both of their recent tours. I didn't. I didn't like the drummer. He's a guy. They introduced him. Frank for yeah. some reason stands out as his first name. He's also from New York. It just didn't. It didn't. It didn't hit for me. I tell you what, Matt Sorum doesn't get a lot of credit. He drummed the shit out of uh, Unusual Illusion yes. one and two. Matt Sorum's really, a great drummer. I tell you what, go again. I said before, go listen to the double uh, double talk jive live version, specifically Tokyo. His opening just solo is fucking bonkers good. So that was it. So the first Usual Illusion, well not Usual, when I say Usual Illusion tour, the first, you know, come the back around tour. twenty years tour. Yeah, yeah, the reunion tour. Thank you. Axel had his fastball. He's still throwing 94, 95, still sounding great. Every the, the, the playlist was fantastic. This last one, last year, actually, he lost a lot of miles an hour off the fastball. The voice was not near as strong. And uh, there was like six of us who went, and we all said, you know, if this is the last time we see them, I can live with that. Same thing though. Everybody, I mean, Slash still fucking kicked ass. And I, I was actually talking to our buddy Jeff Paul about this. I can, I, I will argue, but, but again, my my knowledge is not near as depth in depth as your guys. But I think I can argue that Slash is the greatest guitarist in the last twenty five years. Oh yeah, you can. I yeah yeah yeah. I can argue there. that. He's in the but argument. So, yeah, everybody. I mean, Duff sounded great. I mean, it's hard to pick up the bass here and there when he doesn't have a solo. But I mean, Slash sounded great. Um, the drummer, I was like, ah, and Axel lost, like I said, a few a uh, few ticks off the fastball. If they, like I said, if they come around again in their future, I think I'm going to sit it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen footage of like Axel running around the stage now, and it's like, ooh, careful, like slow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're gonna. You're, he has a metal alert bracelet yeah. next to the other eighteen other ones <laughs> that you, he's you, ready to bang you, out. But they, they always play. They ahead. always played uh, a good cover song or two in there, and I was so mad. That every time they played Giant Stadium, they didn't play. They, they always were playing a Misfits song, which is another of my favorite bands of all time. They would play Misfits songs in other cities, but never here. The one I think they did not last tour, the tour before that was the goddamn theme to The Godfather. I go, yeah. why? Why are we uh, wasting? They've been our doing. Time they've been that? doing that for years. That's they've been I doing know. that for like thirty years. Well, I'm like, but why are we wasting time with this? But give me any Misfits song, and I'm going to lose my shit. That's and I'll run right into the pit and let's go. But yeah, it, so yeah, it's. 
first reunion tour was fantastic. Yeah. The second one was, I'm good. Yeah, I know. I was I was gonna say watching them run around the stage like that. I'm like, ooh, care like careful. It's got to be hard on your knees. There it is. There it is. There it is, folks. Kevin, tell us about uh, tell us about gutting a sacred cow. Tell people how you can find. I've done this podcast and it's a lot of fun. And if if you're a movie buff, you should be checking this out. Gutting the the Sacred Cow is the greatest movie podcast you've yet to hear because here's why. We invite guests like Ken to come on who did The Ring and very apt job, I will say as well, to come on and pick a film they find overrated or hate and trying to convince us to see their argument. Now, here's the twist why we're different. The film must meet one of these requirements, widely beloved, critically acclaimed, or financial success. So you can't come on and go, ah, Friday the 13th, part seven, that's a real piece of shit. Yeah, no kidding, we we get it. So we're giving the platform Form to for people who have unpopular opinions to attack some of these beloved classic money-making machine films this week's episode just dropped as the exorcist upcoming ex uh, films that we've uh that we've uh lined up are stripes um field oh. of dreams we've done recently elf robocop beverly hills cop so Again, if you want to hear how people can actually hate some of these films, sometimes we agree with them. Sometimes we're like, yeah, that, that film fucking sucks. Or, eh, I'm not going to die in the hill on that one. Or, no, you're wrong. This film is a classic and you're just a piece of shit. Gutting the Sacred Cow on every podcast platform imaginable. GuttingTheSacredCow.com. We're also on YouTube. We're also in the metaverse in the joke community room. So when you're done jerking off the VR porn, come on over and watch. See, see how one of our guests can try and take down a, a classic movie or so. Yeah, it's a good podcast because I even felt myself getting a little wound up when you uh, were just naming what episodes are coming up because I was like, who's got something bad to say about stripes? Right. Yeah. Yo, yo, I rewatched it yesterday and boy, we've got notes. I'd say what the one that we call them the bulletproof films, ones that we think no one will ever touch all of them. But like two have been taken uh, attempt to be taken down back to the future has been attempted yeah. to be taken down the Matrix die hard. Star Wars, uh, Jedi was in there too. I'm trying to think what other ones were in there. Fuck, I have to look. But yeah, uh, even classics like Gone with the Wind's been yeah. attacked, Lawrence of Arabia. But I mean, some of your favorite films, but ones that have not been attacked yet, which I'm still waiting on, are Goodfellas, Casino, and what oh, was the other big? Shawshank. So yeah, those are some of the big ones that are left there out there. And Caddyshack. No one's going after Caddyshack, which is my personal favorite film. So. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, check out Gutting the Sacred Cow. Gutting the Sacred Cow. Chip, what do you have coming up? Uh, just follow me at Chip Chantry on Twitter and Instagram. How about you, Ken? Uh, yeah. Follow follow me, Ken Krantz Comic. Follow the show on Twitter, Rock and Roll Pod. Uh, we have another live show coming up at The Stand uh, Wednesday, July 27th. So at 7 p.m. So you can go on the stands website and buy tickets to that. And uh, I guess that's it. Thanks. And everybody. the show will go on at the schedule. The time. show goes on at seven. We, we have a hard out at 830 and I am not nearly big enough a star to to keep them waiting while my childhood trauma plays out. I'm just going to say you're not going to do a cognitive therapy session at 645. <laughs> <laughs> All and right. Rich Voss will throw Rich, Rich Voss will throw a chair at you from the audience. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right, everybody. We'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>